Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skuzkowspo. Uh, well, guys, um, we beat Ohio, which we absolutely should have done, 35-6. to six. Uh, Woohoo! That, that's a win's six a win, for, right? Yeah, a, a win's, exactly. Win's a win. Non-con is over. Um, we got Nebraska staring us straight in the, you know, straight ahead, uh, under the lights in Lincoln this Saturday. Um, we got a lot to get to before we, uh, really dive into this Ohio game, uh, previewing Nebraska. Got to mention a couple, uh, bits of news and notes. Um, the new stadium, uh, you know, we sort of been like, we, we've known this is coming, you know, ever since Derek Gregg's in, you know, his initial press conference, you know, he was saying, this is coming, this is coming. And we we've had a hunch that this has been coming for a while. Um, it's not like we don't have plans. We don't have anything, but, uh, Pat Ryan did donate $480 million, uh, to the school. Uh, majority of that is going to the athletic department. Um, it's, you know, that is, a, I mean, it's from what it sounds like. And like I said, we don't have any specific information yet. But uh, it sure seems like this is not just going to be a, a facelift of Ryan Field. This is going to be a completely new stadium. Yeah, it sounds um, amazing. And, and, you know, you you hear some of the details. And I think, you know, we were talking that during the Ohio game, they interviewed Derek Ragg about it, right? And yeah. I think some of the things that he was talking about were alluding to potentially a reduced capacity. And I, I, I think, I think it's absolutely going to be a reduced capacity. Yeah. And um, potentially um, more like luxury boxes, both of which make perfect sense. Right. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the idea of a shiny new stadium with all the amenities um, with a slightly reduced capacity. I mean, again, we have that giant place tarped off that has just been tarped off forever. That is almost never used. And, a smaller, you know, capacity makes sense. And it's, it's, I think there's that sense of, of being realistic, right. And being like wanting to engage with the student, with the students and with the alumni and with the Chicago area as much as you can, while also understanding, right. That like, we're just never going to pack 50,000. Like it's just not. And if we have to reduce it a little bit while at the same time producing a much better experience, um, and, you know, state-of-the-art facilities and all the bells and whistles, you may end up with a packed house, more likely. And I think those, it's, um, you know, that's the great kind of thing. And I think we're, you know, y- I think you you just have to look at the new Welsh Ryan, right? And see, you take that and all you have to do is combine that with the right confluence of circumstances. Um, and, you know, and, and I think in, in the case of us, at least you and I, Sammy, and I'm trying to think if Scuzz has been on that too, you know, all you need is, you know, while the men's team hasn't been up that, you know, that much recently, the women's team really has. And we've been in that place for women's basketball games where it was absolutely hopping. Yeah. And you kind of see when you have a really brand spanking new, beautiful facility, and then you have that one spark from a team, then, you know, you reach this kind of critical mass. And, uh, you know, I, I think the, you know, this renovation is going to do that. But I mean, I think it's certainly something we're all excited about. Totally, totally stoked. Uh, I've had the fortune of living in two cities, Dallas and now um, Cincinnati, that feature uh, really unique, like urban 
intimate stadiums and uh, Nippert Stadium where the where the Bearcats play here in Cincinnati fits that bill and then uh, TCU Stadium in Fort Worth fits that bill as well and it is so much fun to go see a game at those places because you know e- even not at capacity the 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 feeling the ambiance the excitement within the stadium is amplified by the you know more more intimate quarters and when it's um when it's surrounded by you know granted ryan field is kind of you know in a in a desert if you will like it's not surrounded by tall buildings or anything but um the the experience when you feel like you're in in the midst of of a town or a city or whatever right like like contrast that with the stadium at ann arbor or um uh, I can't, or maybe I haven't been to Nebraska, but I'm thinking about Nebraska right? or, or SMU. I mean, like S- yeah, SMU Nebraska, was a Nebraska stadium. stadium is it's right downtown. Yeah. SMU is another stadium where it was, you know, it's in Dallas, it's in this urban setting, but it's, it's huge. And you go inside and you just feel totally disconnected from, you know, the, the, the handful of other thousand people in the horseshoe. And I just, I think this is a great opportunity for Northwestern to really, Examine what works well for for other teams in similar situations that don't have a huge fan base, um, and have that you know that urban connection. And I just I think it's it's going to be really exciting to see what they come up with. So I mean, all indications are there. There's it's going to be some time before this actually happens. Like they're going got to go through all of the bells and whistles and hoops and red tape. Um, yeah, so this, wh- this is not like demo starts um, and then the day we get back from Iowa Ireland. And, yeah, like this is like listening sessions have start are starting soon. So like literally it's a blank sheet of paper right now. Yeah, so they're, they're visiting stadiums around the country and getting as much information and getting kind of what works well in all these other new stadiums. I, I know San Diego State has a brand spanking new stadium that's about to open and I'm sure they're going to be taking pages from that. Um, TCU, like, like you said, Scuzz, uh, that stadium, there's a lot to take from there. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're doing the due diligence. It sounds like construction would begin after the 2022 season, if everything goes well. Um, so our, our pipe dream of, you know, the, the Nebraska game being, you know, in Ireland because they're going to be finishing up construction that that's a pipe dream. Um, that might have been the case if it was uh, like a rehab, but this is going to be a completely new stadium. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of as the designs start to come out, as we start to see more and more information, um, because right now there just really isn't any real information. I know that this, um, so the $480 million, like I said, goes majority to the athletic department, but that's not all of the fundraising that's going to be done for the new stadium. So, you know, the, I, there's going to be a lot more fundraising to do. I'm sure a lot of it is already being done as we speak. Um, just, you know, behind closed doors and, you know, in, in those channels, which we do not have access to because none of us are multi-billionaires, which is sad. Um, but in any case, Sammy, yet, 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 that's right. Um, Anyone who wants to sponsor the podcast for multi-billion dollars, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Give us a shout. <laughs> I was going to say, when this podcast thing ta- t- takes off, then we'll be set. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, much more to come on that, um, but very, very exciting news. I, I think there's going to be a lot of chatter and a lot of people 
you know, inputting their their wishes and desires and um, going to be a lot of, I guess, backseat drivers in this whole process. So it'll, it'll be fun to kind of watch. Um, one other thing, and uh, Pat Fitzgerald mentioned this in his press conference on Monday. Uh, this week, um, Northwestern is going to be partnering with Helinski's Hope. We've talked about this in the past. Uh, Ryan Helinski's uh, family has a a foundation that helps bring awareness to mental health issues. Um, you know, after the tragic passing of his brother at Washington state, um, you know, so really trying to bring mental aware, mental health awareness to the forefront, reducing the stigmas behind mental health, um, mental illness. And we don't know what form this is going to take, but Fitz did mention it in his presser, uh, on Monday, that this is a thing that is happening this weekend. Um, October 2nd is also the beginning of Mental Health Mental Health Awareness Week. So it kind of uh, ties in really, really well uh, with what Helensky's Hope is doing. Absolutely. I think the the idea of awareness, right, and and the idea of removing the stigma, which I think is, is a big part of what Helensky's Hope is doing and what a big part of Mental Health Awareness Week, which I think begins on October 2nd, is about, is, you know, is just getting athletes to be open. I think we were talking before the pod about the fact that I think, was it Joey Bosa? recently came out yeah um, uh, there was a PSA I was watching uh, NFL games on on Sunday and there was a PSA Joey Bosa was talking about mental health and how he started seeing a counselor uh, to help him in, with meditation and uh, counseling and like more and more people it, it's becoming more and more normalized because it was it was a, it was a big deal during the Olympics with Simone Biles yeah, right it's been a big deal on the on the um, the pro tennis tour this year uh, with Naomi Osaka. Um, yeah, thank you, Osaka, uh, pulling out of, of what was it, Wimbledon or, or the French Open, um, but uh, but it's a big deal, and I think you know, um, you know, we, we, we I, I was just gonna say we we haven't engaged with it yet, but you know, Ryan and his family have been extremely open and and uh, have have talked about this every step of the way. You know, the moment that Holinsky got to campus and started meeting with the media, he talked about this. He talked about how his brother is always with him. I think he's got he talked about the tattoo and a number of other different things, and it's just it's. Um, it's it's a great cause, so so we would encourage everyone to um, perk up and and understand what's going on. And if you want to contribute, support this cause, it's a it's a super worthy one. Absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about uh, this game against Ohio. I mean, there's there's we're not going to well, dig we're yeah, not the- going to dive too deep into this game because um, methodical win it was never really in doubt. Uh, there are definitely some takeaways from this, but I, I think our real focus is on what we can take from this non-conference slate and how this kind of will be playing out this weekend as we make the trek to Lincoln. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, obviously it was, you know, a lot of people were drawing the Indiana State comparisons that this was a a game, and it's funny, I, I think I was about to, 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 to make a tweet while we were watching the game, you know, early in, you know, relatively early in the Ohio game when we were somewhere inside the five yard line poised to go up 21 nothing or, you know, in the early to mid second quarter being like, well, it's good to see we're not getting a repeat of some of the issues from Indiana State. And and then it was a long, long time before we got to 20 points. And I think there were a lot of people who were feeling kind of snake bitten in that way. And and looking and being like, oh, we're seeing some of the kind of same things again. And 
There was some of that to an extent. Um, and there were some of those errors. There were some of those failures to cash in down, you know, in, inside the 10, inside the 11. And there were some penalties and things like that. And and a lot of those things are the things that I think a lot of people are, are hand-wringing over, right? Um, at the same time, there, there were positives out of this game. There were things that we did really well, um, uh, you know, and... It was a game that again was was never in doubt at any point, but that's kind of less the point than than takeaways we can get out of the game. And I think a lot of the the takeaways that we're going to get, positive or negative, again we're going to try to spin forward to the Nebraska game. But I know I think we we wanted to kind of try to highlight some specific performances right in this game. Yeah, we should do some pirate booty here. Um, yeah, and maybe you know the the obvious one you start with is Evan Hall had mm-hmm. a had a just absolute ball over day that ninety yard touchdown run was um was fantastic we we haven't seen many of those at northwestern a lot of times our running backs are great but they don't have that that uh that speed that allows them to uh to go the distance um on a 90 yarder so hull had incredible day he's puking on the sideline um i mean can can we just use this opportunity to stop and have just a brief Evan Hall conversation specifically. Yes, um, John, let's have an Evan Hall conversation. <laughs> do, you, do you want to talk about how you poo-pooed my excitement when we signed him as a recruit? I, I mean, so it's. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's, I couldn't resist. Let me let me phrase it this way: the I I've been taking a lot of crap from our listener base, right, about the ten and two prediction I made at the start of the season, right, um, about. Failure to go after Jim O'Neill, which again, like I, we are by no means defending Jim O'Neill, but about failure, right? And you know, but being wrong about being so bullish coming into the season, and I just want to know how come no one is going at the thing, the single thing I was most wrong about by far, <laughs> which is Evan Hall, um, and and there are so many different, like I mean, I I was just flat wrong, and not that I thought Evan Hall was a bad running back, just that I thought of this particular group he would be the third best running back partly because I was really high on Andrew Clare and Tony Tyus who are both great. And yet Evan Hall has so completely distinguished himself. Um, And Scuzz mentions, um, you know, when we signed Evan Hall and I think, you know, for the, the true Northwestern diehards, one of the, the sour taste things that wasn't a sour taste about signing Evan Hall. It's that effectively, Evan Hall's spot was Jarrell Brock's spot initially. And Jarrell yeah. Brock was this big four-star recruit that Louis Ianey had built this massive relationship with at Iowa State. And then when he came over, there was almost this thought that he brought the relationship over and then it really looked like we were the front runner. And there was a hat dance and he picked Iowa State and it was just like a crushing bro blow. We were handed a lottery ticket at that moment, Okay. No shade to Jarrell Brock, who is a backup running back at Iowa State. Evan Hall is an incredible running back. And it's one of those things where it's like, again, not to go sour grapes, but this is a guy who didn't play at all last year. Like, if he starts in the Michigan State game, we most likely win that game. I mean, we're not going to go down that road. We talked ad nauseum last season about how there were kind of running back issues that submarined us in that game, in the Purdue, you know, in a couple of other situations. Well, I, and, I, I mean, I think it's fair to say, like, Hull's having a great year this year. I think it's also fair to say that he's probably grown and developed a bit from last 100%. season. 100%. Right? Absolutely. Fair, fair, yeah. fair. And, I mean, you watch his ability to break tackles, and he's – I mean – I, I, you can't oversell how good Evan Hull has been this season. 
And it's not like he hasn't had a bad game. The team has had bad games. Evan Hall has been good the entire season. And his his numbers are fantastic right now. His average per carry, his yards per game. He's the Big Ten player of the week, right? Reigning. Yep. Um, and then, but just to watch him, if you watch, this is a guy who busted a 91-yard touchdown run, dove into the end zone, and then attempted to feet flip himself up onto his feet like a ninja. And, and would have Bri- done it if Bryce Kurtz wasn't in the way. Yeah, and Bryce Kurtz got in the way. He's an amazing running back. And again, like we'll talk a lot about more about this too, but I mean it's it's Evan Hall is absolutely the real deal. I sold him short. He leads a great running back stable that Northwestern has. One of the best trios we've had in quite a long while. And a group that we are absolutely going to be leaning on so heavily for the rest of the season. So, again, I just wanted to stop, eat some crow myself, and just say <laughs> that, like, again, he, he's the real deal. He's an awesome running back. And he, he's not going anywhere. And he's part of this great stable. He's a really tenacious runner. Yes. And I, I feel like that's a description that, that aptly fit both Justin Jackson and Isaiah Bowser. In different ways, um, I mean, Jackson just kind of constantly fighting for that extra yard, always falling forward, Bowser in the way that he would lower the shoulder and go through people, right? And Hull is Hull is different. He's cut from a different cloth. Yes, he can still break tackles, but he's got that speed element to his game. I think he's gotten shiftier than last year when, like, last year he gave me Warren Long vibes, like just, you know, straight ball, I hit it very much, uh, but but curveball, you know, no chance, right? He just wasn't shifty enough. And this year I think he's really figured out um, that part of his game. And, and he's he's a lot of fun to watch. But then, like, this is worth calling out. I'm just going to throw out some some stats against Nebraska here real quick um, off the top. So Evan Hall averaging 7.6 per carry. Uh, Tyus 4.8 per carry, which is, you know, not great, but not terrible. Also note how many runs he's gotten in, in short yardage close to the goal line. And then Andrew Clare averaging 7.4 yards per carry. And granted, yes, I know that they all had a field day against Ohio. Nebraska got to play Buffalo and Fordham. They're running we're, backs. They're, we're, they're, uh, oh, oh, we, oh, we going to talk about these rushing numbers um, when we get to Nebraska. <laughs> Ramir Johnson, their leading rusher outside of Adrian, outside of Adrian Martinez, averaging 3.7 yards per carry. Marquis Stepp, the big transfer from USC, averaging 4.2 yards per carry, and Gabe Irvin averaging 3.5 yards per carry. Uh, and then Sevion Morrison, who's got 20-plus carries, uh, 3.4 yards per carry. So, like, Northwestern's running backs outperforming Nebraska's by quite a clip. And the interesting thing is, like, you see people questioning Northwestern's run blocking and the ability to run the ball. And I think, you know, I think about that Duke game and how, how quickly we got down by too many points. Same thing in Michigan State and abandoned the run. And this is clearly the strength of Northwestern's offense. We saw it on display against Ohio. Um, and I think to John's point, we're going to see it again this weekend. But that's 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 where things have to start from the rest of this season for this offense. Right. Before we move on from Evan Hall, the last thing I want to mention, for anyone who doesn't know, he's eighth in the country in rushing right now. And his average per carry is better than any of the other top 11 backs in the country. These are not wishy-washy numbers. He was good against Michigan State. They are, like, 
he's just a great running back and he's going to continue to be a great running back. So yeah. Um, uh, pirate booty the the next name that I want to mention is going to be a name that I think a lot of you are not going to be expecting, but it's Bryce Gallagher. And the, the reason I want to highlight Bryce Gallagher is he's pretty clearly the most improved player over the course of the season we've had so far in the first game of the season, the Michigan state game, Again, we've we've talked, and I'm not going to use this as an opportunity to go into it right now, but the fact that there's this kind of closed club of four linebackers and you're either in that club or you're out of that club because that's who's playing, right? Coming out of the first game, the Michigan State game, Bryce Gallagher was pretty clearly the fourth best member of that club, and he has improved every game since that point. Now, he was in media days today and was talking about um, in media availability, talking about like, I'm not satisfied with myself. I see so many shortcomings in my game. I've got to get a lot better. He does have to get better. He has to continue to improve. He has improved so much. He is arguably our second best linebacker right now. You can see that in the way unassisted tackle numbers have jumped up week to week. And he is now one of the top guys in that category. And you can also see it in the amount of times he's used in our nickel package, which is a lot. He gets on the field a lot in the 425 that never used to happen. And if you know anything about Northwestern's 425, the best two linebackers generally play. Last year it was all Blake Gallagher and Patty Fisher. This year, Bergen is always one of the two guys. And Gallagher was never that other guy. And then if you look at Ohio, he was almost always that other guy. So if you're looking for guys who are on an upward trajectory, young guys developing, again, we wish more of those guys, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, would get a chance to get some of those reps. But Gallagher's example of a young guy who's gotten those reps and absolutely made the most of them. And his improvement and continued improvement is going to be a big deal. So I wanted to shout him out. Two other guys I wanted to call out on defense who... um had a good game against Ohio, but have, have been have been good and noticeable pretty much all season, and that's Jeffrey Pooler and uh, and and Tommy Adewore, um, who you know had decent tackles. They got pressures. They both got a sack. Um, have been noticeable in the D line. I think I think Pooler had the tip that got picked off by yes, um, I believe that's right by Joseph as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like. I point this. Or out I part. think I think I believe Mazer tipped that. Oh, was it I was it Jeremy Mazer? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but so like like Pooler and Adewari are the two that I feel like have been have been the most disruptive on the de- defensive line, and that's that's going to be a critical theme this weekend against Nebraska, especially in terms of you know uh, both both making Adrian Martinez uncomfortable in the pocket, but then chasing him down. Like like you you can't let him run wild. That's that's some of what really torched Michigan State, and obviously we've seen that in the past from him. But uh, those two guys have, you know, not to the same degree as Gallagher has improved, but in a similar way have, have been good and noticeable throughout the season and uh, pretty consistent to my eye. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and of course, B. Joe, you know, you mentioned tip ball. Um, B. Joe gets interception number seven of his career. And, you know, you talk about, hey, it was on a tipped ball. Yeah, but like, this is what we talked about. The dude is always somehow always seems to be where he needs to be when a ball that could be intercepted is in the air. And it's like that's some guys just have that. It's, you know, in soccer, they call it fox in the box, right? A guy who's somehow right where he needs to be in the right spot, you know, to, to get that goal. Same thing. And again, 
it's like you look at a game like Nebraska and you're like, how do we, how are we going to pull this out? Well, it takes timely turnovers and you know, something like that can definitely factor in. I want to shout out uh, Ryan Holinsky. I mean, he makes his first start at Northwestern um, starts off great. You know, seven of eight, uh, you know, looking really, really sharp. Got the cats out to a, you know, f- quick 14, nothing lead. And at that point, the offensive game plan pretty much shut down and it turned into a just we're running the ball um but you know it, at the beginning when they were you know trying to keep things kind of dynamic and doing a bunch of different things he looked pretty sharp yeah he wasn't going deep downfield we didn't have to go deep downfield against ohio um well, yeah J- jared thomas made this point in his uh kind of review of the game with with louis vacar on um on Wildcat Report, and that is that, like, the, his favorite thing about what Helinski did is he didn't force anything. Um, you know, he made he made one one throw that uh, <laughs> was almost a pick six, right? Um, and after that, like, outside of that one potentially terrible throw, um, he was super careful with the ball, didn't make any um, any poor decisions or. Uh, forced passes, et cetera. And that's that's what you want when your team is steamrolling the other team. I wanted to point out, and this is not about Andrew Marty, but it's a little bit about the reaction to the quarter and a half that Andrew Marty played last, uh, played two weeks ago and, and what people recall from his first start. Do you know what Mar- Andrew Marty's stats were in his first start for Northwestern throwing the ball? If I, I don't want to know. Negligible <laughs> at best. I mean, he ran the ball. He was 60% complete, exactly the same as Holinsky. Uh, for 55 yards, um, you know, a little bit more efficient than than the 88 that uh, that Helinski put up on more passes, and then he threw one TD, but he also threw a pick. So, like, I point that out again, not to throw any shade at Andrew Marty, but to be like, we, I mean, people were coming off of that Illinois game thinking Andrew Marty was a second coming. A lot of that was because of his rushing ability, but like, I, I pointed out because it was again, it was a game where you didn't need to throw the ball and you shouldn't throw the ball, so. I think there's, you know, we, we've seen on the depth chart, it's, it is Holinsky next week. Um, the only or is on the backup line. He's clearly the starting QB and we're going to, we're going to roll with that and see how it goes. And, you know, I like if last weekend against Michigan state is any indicator, Nebraska is going to try to force Northwestern to throw the ball. They're going to load the box and say, Hey, you know, Prove, prove you can beat our corners and our safeties before we before we do something different here. And Halinski's going to get his chance to, to put it out there, and we'll see how he does. We'll see. Yeah, so put a pin in that because we're going to talk about that a bunch when we get to Nebraska. I did want to say kind of in, in the kind of clear eyes view of this, right? Like, because I think there's a lot of people, right? You're comparing Hunter Johnson and Ryan Halinski, right? And it, it's tough because I think – Part of it is, I mean, we talked, we had the discussion with um, that Northwestern just does diff- things differently than other teams, right? And <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> to say the least. And um, the most glaring example is Purdue. Uh, and you look at Jeff Brom. Jeff Brom is literally willing to sub quarterbacks out series to series and ride the hot hand. And I think there's a pretty good argument to be made for that strategy when you've got, you know, two similar style quarterbacks. I know we're all still scarred from Trevor Simeon, Kane Coulter and that era, right? Um, And kind of the way that mutated and so went south. But um, Purdue basically won against Illinois this past weekend because they were willing to to ride the guy who was hot at that exact moment. And 
we don't operate that way. It's we, you know, Fitz wants to make his call and then that's going to be the guy. And if thing, unless things totally blow up, that's the way it's going to be. And, and you're bummed for Hunter Johnson, but it's kind of important to kind of look and be like, okay, so what is the actual difference here? Well, I mean, no one throws a more accurate ball than Hunter Johnson. I mean, y'all are immediately going, what about the interceptions? Those are just horrible decisions. He didn't throw bad balls. He threw them into horrible spots. Like, he's a really accurate passer. When he's like, I see a receiver, I'm throwing to that receiver. He hits the target. Few guys are going to be that accurate. And Holinsky so far has not been that accurate. One of the big differences, though, is we were talking about this early, especially when things were going well with Holinsky. Holinsky's a gunslinger. And when we say gunslinger, it's he he'll throw passes that are... He's capable of throwing passes that are not his normal delivery. It's like, this is the thing that, of course, Pat Mahomes is legendary for doing this, right? Where it's like, I've got to sidearm a ball on this throw. I've got to get it out this way. I am not in a spot where I can set my feet exactly the way I want to and throw the way I throw in practice. I just got to get it out there. I don't, I don't, just to interject, I don't know that gunslinger is the, is the apt term. Cause when now, you say gunslinger, I think of Brent well, Favre and like, I'm going to well, put well, this ball but, through a, a hole the size of a postage so, stamp. But, but, it's, but it's funny that, but it's funny though, because you mentioned Favre, cause Favre was exactly that kind of guy where it was like, Favre was the kind of guy where like so many of Favre's throws, you're like, is that even a throwing motion? But the ball gets to where it needs to go. He just did a lot of that. But, I mean, it's like – so my point is right. Like, Gunslinger, like, right. I mean, he can stand in the pocket and fire. Like, he's still got the cannon. You don't have the same pinpoint accuracy. At least we haven't seen it so far. But I think we we have to look in the mirror for anyone who's being like – for anyone who's saying, look, after that great start to the game, Ryan Helinski did not look particularly active, you know, from that – particularly accurate from that point on. That's true. You're right. I mean, it, that's that's true. And it is true that we are starting in Northwestern terms, right? A guy who has had not that much experience over the course of this whole season going into a game against a good Nebraska defense. Those things are all true. Hunter Johnson, you know, what would be the much more experienced option. I think one thing that we kind of have to be kind of be realistic about, though, is the possibility that when we do throw there may not be great pass pro. And that's just something we got to be realistic about. Like there's, there was no evidence to that. We have fixed the issues that have popped up so many times prior to the Ohio game in the Ohio game. Those situations didn't come up. Um, And again, I have a lot of other things I want to say about this when we get to Nebraska, but in a situation where you're not getting ideal pockets on passing downs, I think Holinsky is probably the better choice. And that's just because he's going to try to do more to work around it. He's going to try to do more to throw ugly out of those sets, you know, um, and just that, that he's, you know, you're going to get a little bit more of a pocket presence. Again, I think in a clean pocket, there's no one I'd rather have than Hunter. I just, we're not in that place right now. They've made the decision for Halinski. We're going to ride with it and, and it very well may be the right choice. And we're going to start to find out um, on Saturday, on Saturday night. So one, one concern I had um, that I, I we are going to need to address and it's kind of been a bugaboo a little bit this entire season i know where fi- you're going finishing drives oh yeah is is that where you thought i was going well i have a related thing <laughs> taking at least three points out of drives that we're not finishing but yeah yes. i mean finishing drives but that's part I mean, of it it's all yeah, part of it yeah exactly i mean charlie yeah, no. has not been phenomenal this season 
so far. Uh, hopefully, you know, he's a college kicker. That happens. College kickers are, you know, anyone who's fully automatic, you're they few and far between is is what those but kickers I mean, are. But to your point, if we if we'd gotten inside the Ohio 11 four times and taken 12 points out of it, we'd be unsatisfied. Yeah. As it is, we got we took less than 12 points out of it. But no, you're you're but your your point is taken. You're absolutely right. I mean, and, and part of that is self-inflicted mistakes. Yeah, it's been a bugaboo all season. I mean, we we get close, we get in the red zone, we get first and goal and we come away with nothing or we come away with with three and we should be coming away with seven. So um, that's something that we're, you know, it, it came up against Ohio. Didn't, it ended up not mattering because we were just a much, much better team than Ohio, but that's something that we are going to need to be concerned about moving forward, especially, you know, against this Nebraska team whose defense is, dare I say it, solid. It is. Um, before we go there, I mean, are, yeah. we, are we done? Are we done with Ohio? Like, do you, do you have know, anything? Anything else? Other, to... Like Bergen probably deserves a shout out, considering he had eleven solo tackles. Sure. Um, but I guess there were there was there were two scheme things, and I guess I I can save them for later because I don't I don't want to um, totally totally derail our our conversation here on the on the scoring things. But I I will say this like the the one criticism of the running game that I think is very fair right now is that inside the, the opponent's five yard line, it's been, it's been pretty paltry. Like we've, yeah. we've not gotten a lot of push off the line. I think we've had multiple false starts to my recollection. Um, I think one of the tight ends had, uh, had a, um, a, a total missed block on what should have been a touchdown for Tyus uh, in one of those, one of those bad situations against Ohio where we ended up like missed a block and then, had a false start and then missed the field goal, um, kind of, kind of things. But I think at the same time, the playbook has been really vanilla in, in these opening games. And this is, you know, this is vintage fits, um, not trying, like trying to not show very much early on. And I'm not suggesting that they're, you know, we're going to whip out the razzle dazzle and, you know, statue of Liberty play or anything like that. But, um, I, I don't know, like I, what, like what's I, what's your sense? What would you guys do? Well, so, is, is it so, is it just execution? I, I honestly and and I again I it's like I don't want to step on this too much before we pivot to Nebraska. I really do think a lot of it is execution, and I think you look at those exact moments that you talked about, and then you look at the you know the the Halinski declare exchange with the fumble, right? And it's like we got in our own way of of two touchdowns on both of those two drives and both of those two drives should have been touchdowns. There was, those were two drives where we marched on both drives. And I think you can look at some of the exact same things with Indiana state and be like stupid errors, like just random errors and, and Duke, right? We should have scored a touchdown at the beginning of the Duke game where a false start backed us up. And then we ended up, you know, running a bad play and, and that was where things started to, but it's like, this team has never not run the ball well, and it's never not run the ball well heavy, and it gets in its own way. And I think, you know, again, we'll get there, but we're, we're playing a team that has written the book on getting in its own way. And I think it's, you know, it's going to be the, you know, the which team screws up less in this game, I think is going to have a lot to, to do with it. So are we ready to move on to, uh, to this weekend? I mean... <sighs> Yeah, I mean, this is it's this. There's no underselling it. It's it's a massive week, right? It feels like a pivot point, 
it feels like this point where so much of the negative that we've seen this season and so much of, of what you can kind of look at and see on tape and different things is just screaming at you in so many negative ways. And, and it's, it's rough because there are so many tough things and and you're looking at this and you're being like, this doesn't look good. A lot of this looks really bad. A lot of the way things are setting up between these two teams in this game looks bad. And you also have all of the history of this exact pivot point in this exact kind of season and what has happened for Northwestern in certain games like that and and the way that Northwestern has totally subverted expectations in situations like this so many times. And the fact that all of the September history we love to talk about, we are now passing on from to the October history that we all love to talk about. And so with all that said, it's it's a big moment. It's a big pivot point. And I think it's it's going to do a lot to define what this season is going to be. So, I mean, I, I think the, the first place to start, um, you know, Nebraska has played much better than we thought they would uh, coming out of that week zero game against Illinois. However, there is this sort of malaise. I mean, they are finding ways to lose games. They very easily could have beaten Oklahoma. They probably should have beaten Michigan State. Uh, especially with you know the way they completely shut down the Spartans in the second half of that game. And yet, they keep finding ways to shoot themselves in the foot. It, it's been the Nebraska story for four years, for the yeah, entirety right. of the Scott Frost era. I, I, remember, I remember, I think it was his first year, and it took them like six weeks to get a win. And I distinctly remember the game against, I think it was Wisconsin, where they had a shot late and kicked the field goal like, off of the upright um and they, like that team has just kind of been snake bit and sloppy and like yes they're getting they're getting net better play from adrian martinez than they have the last two years the defense looks a lot better um but i think uh, like a lot a lot of people are looking at the score of the oklahoma game newsflash folks oklahoma ain't that good nope and are looking at the michigan state game which inarguably nebraska played a wonderful game and really should have won and and didn't but like there's you know this could go in one and two one of two ways either nebraska's on a great trajectory and they're going to come in to this game they're going to put all the sound and fury together and they're going to put it to northwestern and they're going to hammer us or they're going to come in still not with the confidence in their approach or their coach or each other or whatever into a series that has been tight and hard fought from the moment they joined the big 10 and um, they're going to have a dogfight on their hands. And I think the latter is more likely. Yeah, I, I think so too. And it's so funny because I, I spent a lot of the time between when the Michigan State-Nebraska game ended and then up until now, kind of in a little bit of a dark place relative to this game. And part of it is because I think I was looking and I was like, it's so easy to map out a scenario where it's just so easy to, to be like, look, the line is currently, I think 10 points, Nebraska, 10 and a half, 10, 10 and it's, it's 10 and a half. It opened, I think at nine it's moved. The action is still on Nebraska. And part of that I think is because it's easy to map out a scenario. Not only that Nebraska wins big, but how they win big. It's just easy to present that case. And that case works something like, 
our linebacker core and the speed of our defense, our defense has just looked slow this season. And Nebraska, like, it's like if Adrian Martinez could pick one defense to run around the outside of, we would probably be the defense in the Big Ten that he would pick. So you can quickly go from that to be like, all right, so that's how they score points. That's how they move the ball. He does Martinez things, and that's how they get their points. And then on the other side of the ball, you can be like, look what they did to Michigan State defensively. Um, which, like Northwestern's going to try to do the same thing. It's not going to work, and and that's what's going to happen. And it's so it's really easy to to map that out. And I and I was thinking about that for a long time, and then a couple of other th- and then a couple of things started to sink in, and I started to think a bit a lot of, uh, about this in a little bit of a different way. And I think for all of you who at this point are thinking and being like, you know, you're, you're really not looking forward to this game. You're being like, Oh God, like, where are we going here? Like, what could this be, et cetera? A couple things to to point out here. So one, you know, the, the general stuff that we talked about, like, like Scuzz just said, like this team is, they get snake bit and as good as they've looked at times, they find ways. There was one play from the Michigan state game that sums up the Scott Frost era, or not, it sums up this season absolutely perfectly. Nebraska runs a stunt on a Michigan State passing down. The stunt works perfectly. Two defensive tackles crisscross. One of them gets free, gets a free release on Thorne, lights him up, and then, I kid you not, literally in front of the official, suplexes Peyton Thorne onto the ground. The official is standing in front of him. It's almost like that scene in Key and Peele where the official's looking at him and being like, you're not going to do this, are you? You're really not going to do this right in front of me? And the Nebraska guy's like, oh, yes, I am. And then just suplexes him. If the official could have thrown five flags, he would have thrown five flags. (laughs) And it's just like, this is Nebraska. This is what they do. They find ways to submarine themselves and it pops up in all different kind of different ways. And, you know, I I mentioned this a little, you know, we talked about Jared Thomas's great piece that he wrote on this this week, talking about the way Northwestern was able to do things on defense and offense and the synergy between the two late in the Ohio game that you might have not noticed, but really did a lot to build the positive mindset of the team. And it's like, if you think that stuff doesn't matter, then you should look at Nebraska because that team finds ways to blow it. And um, so, so that that was kind of part of it. Um, the other part of it that I kind of realized and started thinking about it, and I know Sammy, you and I were sitting, we're watching the game, we're watching, we're watching. For example, on a third and seven, we give to Andrew Clare, and Andrew Clare runs for seven yards for for more than seven yards. It's a great run, but we're like, uh, that would have been an opportunity to kind of kick the tires on this pass pro. And then we're seeing a lot of Tony Tyus in the fourth quarter running like. Uh, wildcat and just going up the middle and bludgeoning Ohio granted for a bunch of yards. And, but we're like, Oh man, we could, you know, we need time to work on the pass pro and stuff. And then kind of at some point, you know, a day or two later, it hit me. This is what we're going to run against Nebraska. And I know a lot of you are being like, why the hell would we do that? Well, there are a couple of asterisks relative to this Nebraska defense. The Michigan State game is by far their best defensive performance. Now, they're a good defense. Those linebackers are great. They are great. Probably going to finish up as one of the better linebacker groups in the Big Ten, okay? Um, 
But aside from the Michigan State game, this team gives up more than four yards a carry. And that includes Buffalo, who had a pretty good game running the ball. And Oklahoma averaged, I think, five and a half yards a carry running the ball against Nebraska. And if you watch the Buffalo highlights, and again, this is a MAC team, what you see is the heavier Buffalo went, the more success they had. Success? Does success mean an 80-yard touchdown run? No. But it means like four yards. And I think if you look at Michigan State, I don't know, Scuzz, you and I kind of went back and forth on this. There's well, no before, doubt. Before the, you get to Michigan yeah, State, Fordham yeah. averaged 4.6 yards per carry on the ground against right, Nebraska. Exa- and if you look at Illinois, who right. also had a really good day running against Nebraska and has really struggled to run the ball yes. since that first game, it, like it, it's hard to not like triangulate these things. Right, exactly. And then you factor in the fact, right, that when we ran that whole game play against Ohio, that Michigan State game hadn't happened yet. So I think the thinking was, and, and then you look at Michigan State, and Michigan State, and you remember this on us because they did so much of being like, we're going to throw a bunch of receivers on the field and make yeah, this Chris is, Bergen th- go th- to one side of the field. This is right? key. Right, and then we're going to the other side of the field, and Nebraska was like, our linebackers are sick. You try that. And it ain't going to work. So then we'll see if Peyton Thorne can throw. And Peyton Thorne had a rough day throwing the ball. Well, and I, I just I want to I want to dig into this a little bit because it was it's it's so clear when you go back and watch the highlights of that game. I mean, Kenneth Walker, until the very like the third to last play of the game, has nothing, zero daylight, zero opportunity to run the ball. He's he's hit in the hole or, or behind the line on almost every play. But watch the Nebraska linebackers. First of all, there's there's four there's eight Nebraska defenders in the box on every play, despite the fact that that Michigan State is often in spread sets. And when the ball is snapped, those linebackers don't move. They don't go anywhere until they are 100% sure that Kenneth Walker is not getting the ball. That's how dedicated Nebraska was to stopping the run against Michigan State, and they basically said, "Peyton Thorne, we dare you to throw." And a couple times that worked. Uh, Jalen Reed got behind the defense and he hit, he hit him for a nice little 30 something yard touchdown. But most times Thorne looked pretty rough. He was inaccurate. He was not comfortable in the pocket. He got hit and sacked a whole bunch. And those, like those problems just kind of piled up throughout the game. And it like Nebraska's strategy worked really, really well. And so if you're Northwestern and you're going to like, you're not going to try to run against Nebraska out of spread sets because they're going to do the exact same thing because there's no indication that we have the quarterback play to take advantage of it yet. Exactly. And I think all of you are probably listening, jumping ahead, being like, well, yeah, exactly. And if Peyton Thorne couldn't do it, how the heck is Ryan Holinsky going to do it? But then you realize and you're like, yeah, but the one thing Michigan State didn't do is just stuff a bunch of heavy personnel on the line and be like, well, the one thing Nebraska hasn't done for every game except this game this season, and pretty much every game last season and the season before that, is be able to handle big bodies inside. That's just not their forte. Do you remember Drake Anderson last year? All these guys didn't suddenly go to some other plane of existence between then and now, okay? Um, it's just that, Scuzz's point, Nebraska had an awesome game plan, and they dared Michigan State to throw, and Michigan State couldn't do it. The offense I think you're going to see us run is a lot of the offense you saw against Ohio. Few moving parts, a lot of double tight ends, and we're just going to try to smash them. And again, it's like 
you're thinking, oh, but what if we have to throw? Yeah, it's not going to be a perfect situation, but we're going to try to drag this game into the mud. It's like we're going to hit him. But and, also also right. remember who Bajakian is. When right. Bajakian was at Boston College, it was heavy and pound away with A.J. Dillon and then throw deep out of the same sets. And I'm not suggesting we're going to see like 75 deep balls to the tight ends and the wide receivers in this game against Nebraska. But here's some, what one thing Michigan State does not have on their roster is a bunch of tight ends. They've got six total catches by what by tight ends this year. Uh, Northwestern has more than double that. We have players that can play that position and can can block effectively, and I like. We can still throw out of those sets. We don't have to. We don't. Our our strength is not you know in these in these super these three super speedy Jalen Reed, Trey Mosley, Jalen Naylor uh, players like Michigan State, and and so like it's a it's a it's a different mo, and it fits it it fits the Bajakian mold that we've been waiting for, frankly. Right, and, we, and we've think, seen hints of it, but we haven't seen it yet to its full effect. Right, and I think it's one of those things where it's like. For everything, all the malaise that we have felt this season and all the things that have gone wrong for Northwestern, run blocking has not really been the thing. The backs all have good rushing numbers through all of the games. And I think so much of the stuff that we were lamenting, right, is and we talked about this last week, is like, let's, you know, let's go heavy and then like let's run more pitch outs. Let's like go more, you know do a more dynamic traditional running game and hit him in a couple of different ways. And then play action. And then play action. Right. And I think that's the part that we're missing, but I think that's the part you might start to see again. There's, you know, I mapped it out at the beginning. There's a big reason. One of these teams is coming off its best game of the season and the other team is not. Okay. And the, but there is that piece. And I think you start, you start to think and you're like, look, the, you know, for one of the times in, in the history of this pod, the way Fitz wants to play this game and the way we need to play this game are in perfect alignment. <laughs> <laughs> like Fitz, Fitz is like, like all that Tony Tyus stuff, you're going to see that. And again, it's like Nebraska's, their defense is good. Like there's no doubt about it. It's definitely the best of the Scott Frost era and it's gotten better and it's coming off of a great game, but we're just going to try to pound them. And I think it's really important to stop and be like, okay, let's assume until proven otherwise that we're not going to see um, Josh Preeb, we're not going to see Sam Garak, right? Um, but whether it's those guys or whether it's Charlie Schmidt, right? Um, Conrad Rowley. Um, who am I forgetting? Who who did, else played last week? Did we not oh. see Preeb last week? I thought we saw him. Oh, oh, we saw, oh, we saw was, Preeb last week. Yeah, oh, you're right. It was Preeb, right? Um, it's like, we we've talked about we've hammered this. These guys are all great at run blocking, and they just have techniques. They've they've just been killed by swim moves on pass pro. Okay, and it's like I don't have a lot of faith those issues have been fixed since what we saw in the Duke game. But these dudes have never not been great at run blocking. It's been a thing all year. We have three great backs. I'm not saying we're just gonna gash them. I'm saying like four yards a carry and pull this game down into the mud. Because you know what happens when you pull a game like this down into the mud? Adrian Martinez decides to give you a ball. And <laughs> and this this like this happens every friggin' game for Nebraska. It's like Nebraska fans are already waiting for it to happen in this game. 
And it's like, you drag this game down into the muck. Obviously, the huge thing we've got to fix is, is right, is the penalties, is the issues, is the little things that bite us, especially when we get down close or we have a good drive going. Um, but I truly believe we're going to try to just hit them. And I know you're all thinking, like, how can you try to just hit a team that stoned Kenneth Walker? It's just different. We're going to try to take these guys that don't have a lot of history of strength from a defensive perspective. And we're just going to try to hit them. And we're going to see what happens. And again, it's like, is this a, a perfect solution? No, it's not. But it is something. And when you factor that in with the fact that um, I think, you know, Nebraska's got a history of giving these games away. I mean, if Nebraska's a 10 point, 10 and a half point favorite in this game, if they lose it, that, you know, that's how close Scott Frost is right now. And, and, and these things do matter. Well, we, we got to talk about the other side of the ball, though, because I think yes, that's probably absolutely. where people have the most consternation. For sure. And I like like so to me, I, I want to start with Nebraska, because I think you can you can you can box score gaze and you can look at Adrian Martinez's stats and you can you can start to get yourself worried. Um, you know, he he I joked at the beginning of the year that that Phil Steele's kind of tagline for Nebraska that I thought the team should adopt was like, Hopefully, Adrian Martinez returns to his freshman year form. Um, but thus, like thus far, he's been he's been really good. Like sixty seven percent completion. Uh, he's got you know almost thirteen hundred yards already. He he. What what stands out most notably is his yards per attempt. Um, it's at nine point five. He has never he's never been above seven before. But here's what's important to note: in the Buffalo game. Uh, Samari Torrey caught two 68-yard touchdowns. And you take those, the, like, again, against Buffalo, just got behind the defense. Adrian Martinez is not a good downfield thrower. Like, you look at the rest of these games. Yeah, he's he's hitting guys on 20-yard patterns and such. But, like, he, he he's he's not going to pull the Iowa, you know, rainbow to a receiver out out in front of our our, our defense-type move, right? That just doesn't happen that, that often. Those two touchdown passes to Torrey against Buffalo are worth a full yard on his on his average yards per attempt. And I say that not to suggest that, you know, he sucks or something, but like when you just look at the stats and see how he's doing, there's 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 another there's another wrinkle here, and it goes back to what John said a minute ago. Like Martinez still gets really squirrely in the pocket. He he still runs the ball way too much. He carried the ball twenty one times against Michigan State, seventeen against OU, seventeen against Illinois. Uh, like he went out of the Michigan state game at one point and Logan Smothers came in because he was injured. He fumbled the ball again. He threw two picks, one being the backbreaker in OT. Like this is, he is John, you said it best. Like they broke, they broke the trick or treat mold when they made Adrian Martinez, because then on the other hand, he can be electric running the ball, especially. So Easter I, I, I point this all out because the, you know, one of the things when you go back and look at that Michigan State game is you're like, oh, my God, how did Nebraska lose? Like, destroyed Michigan State in yards. Zero first downs allowed in the second half. Destroyed them in first downs, third down conversion percentage, a whole bunch of stuff. Michigan State did really great on returns, so they, they a lot on special teams. So that's kind of a, a game within the game for this, for this coming weekend. But the thing about Nebraska's offense, despite those two, you know, Tory throws that I talked about and the increased yards per attempt, Adrian Martinez is not a good downfield thrower. 
And when you <laughs> just it's it's an eight minute clip. Go watch the highlights from that Michigan State game. How many of Adrian Martinez's throws are rocketed into postage stamp sized holes? I mean, you talk about a gunslinger. This dude, I don't exactly want to say he got lucky, but this dude was playing with fire against Michigan State. And but for and eventually he got burned. <laughs> but for the pick in OT, it was generally working for him. But again, this is this is not a team that's gonna that's gonna bomb you downfield. They do not have the explosiveness from their running game, save Martinez. If you keep Martinez in front of you and you don't allow him to go on a 55-yard touchdown romp, they have to dink and dunk their way down the field. They're not a chunk yardage team. And how do you defeat a team like that? Bend but bro- but don't break defense. Again, it, it is it is the style of play that, that fits once. It's the style of play that we've had for years. You will see this weekend. You will see large cushions from the cornerbacks that make you uncomfortable. <laughs> you will see Nebraska target and and effectively uh, move the ball against the the less seasoned components of our defense, right? Whether it's outside linebacker or nickel corner or whatever it is. But it's part of the strategy to to force this team to go on long drawn out drives and 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 make them execute better than we do and i'm not saying that they can't do it they might do it just fine and they might beat us by 25 points but um this this is the path to how northwestern wins this game yeah i there so it was you know, it was. It's been harder for me to find those those defensive answers, and you're absolutely right. That is the path, and I think part of the problem for me, on one hand, is this rotation and this this group, and and you know the issues of the defense. We've been talking about this for weeks, right? Um, you know, there's there's no getting around this, right? In our base sets, with the exception of Chris Bergen, Northwestern's starting one of the slowest linebacker cores in the Big Ten. And there's just, I think you're all aware of this. There's no getting around it. And, you know, so you combine that with Adrian Martinez, and that sounds like a recipe for disaster. I think one of the things that kind of, you know, bothers us, and we've been talking about it, I mean, we looked, you know, you look at the the last play of the game, right? The play that, that went wrong and led to the, went, led to the, the touchdown and the fireworks going off as Ohio scored a touchdown was so bizarre. But, um that was the only play Jalen Rivers and Xander Miller got on the field for. And I think you 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 get that one sliver of ability to watch Jalen Rivers. And what you see is he almost looks like a larger JR pace right down to the towel and looks so fluid. And you're like, oh man, this guy just looks like, you know, like, can't we just kick the tires on this guy for a couple of halves and see if there's any Anthony Walker in there? And, and then Muller... Um, he is so keep in mind not part of our four linebacker rotation he's tied for fourth among the linebackers in tackles and those are mainly special teams tackles but i think part of us is being like look when you factor that in and you factor in that of this closed club of linebackers we have the guy who was pretty clearly fourth best to start the season is second best now that kind of makes you wonder if other guys should be getting a shot so there's that there's that kind of frustrating piece to it, right? Um, and then the piece that that it almost seems like I think the defense is aware of the speed issues, and that they try to to compensate a lot of that time for playing um, for by playing four two five and putting Rod Hurd on the field. And I think one of the things that I noticed last game is there will be times 
when we'll shift to a base 4-3 into a 4-2-5 when the the other team uh, has not made a giant personnel shift and it is not third down. And in that situation, you can almost just read Rod Hurd as like coming in as a linebacker. He's just switching out for another linebacker. And Rod Hurd is not a linebacker. And that's kind of an issue. And these are the kind of problems where I look at this and it's like, you know, it seems like we're searching for a lot of other solutions here other than just kicking the tires on faster linebackers and seeing if there's an answer there. But again, it's like, we this is what we are and we know the die is cast we know what we're operating with we know the the dudes that Fitz has decided to ride with and that's it there is that small part of me and you know you've all been laughing for weeks ever since i brought this up my you know scenario a versus scenario b i'm like do we have something in the can for this game and again i'd really love to see three down linemen and all different kinds of stuff i don't think we're gonna see that i, I know I, I don't mean to put on my tinfoil hat but there was a moment early on in the Ohio game where our offenses started to stall and it felt like we needed to get some defensive stops and we were having a little bit of trouble on third down on occasion. And there were a couple of third downs in a row where you saw a three down lineman package that was accompanied by some interesting pressure looks from the linebackers. That, so you, I was, you're absolutely right? right. I was about to say that, right? We're seven guys flat across the line of scrimmage and then we would go bait and then we would suddenly drop to base out of it. And that was going to lead me to the next thing, right? Where it's like, look, I'm not saying we're going to come out in some crazy 3-4, right? But I do think you're going to see things you haven't seen before. And Scuzz is absolutely right. There were there were hints of it in the Ohio game. You saw those potential pressure packages. You saw us kind of being like, are we doing something here? Are you going to see some other look? And then we dropped a base out of it. And it's like, well, maybe there is something there. And that is a big X factor in this game. Because in addition to the fact that Nebraska is, you know, has been bitten by this just bug, the Scott Frost bug that has been going for so long and you know, it affects them in so many ways, is the fact that, like, you ain't going to see nothing in this game you haven't already seen from Nebraska. You think Nebraska's holding something back? Scott Frost <laughs> is coaching for his job every week. They are emptying whatever they have. He's not like waiting for five games down the road when they're going to break out their real offense. He doesn't have that kind of time. Whereas in our case, there could be, again, we've been hoping for so long that Jim O'Neill has been holding a bunch of these things in reserve. And whether it is a straight 3-4 or, you know, which again, I know it's not going to be that. It's almost certainly not going to be that. I know like that's probably true. But I do believe that there are a lot more schemes, that there's some more aggressive stuff, that there are some other things he's got in the tank, and that there are some things he's been waiting until the Big 10 West schedule to break out. So, And, and, and um, that right there, that is the point. We have not played a Big 10 West game. Right. And, you know, as far as, as, far as Northwestern is concerned, you win the West, you go to the Big 10 championship game, and you have an opportunity to win the Big 10. It doesn't matter. If you go zero and three in the East, it doesn't matter if you go zero and three in non-conference. We didn't do that. You know, we did lose to Michigan State, but the key to Northwestern winning the Big Ten championship is to win the West and to get to Indy, and that is, I think, what we're. You know, this is what we've been waiting for. This is our opportunity. Just in case you didn't hear our last podcast, it's not what we want, folks. We right. would like Northwestern to take every game seriously and win them all. 
but we also have to like live with the deck we're dealt sometimes. And this has been a pattern for years. Like not like, like, like it's been a pattern in the Fitz era. It goes back to our conversation with Jay a couple weeks ago where this, you know, these, these, these September woes go back as, as, as far as the modern Northwestern program goes back right to 95 and 96. But, um, it's, it's not meant as an excuse. It's just like, we, we've, I've, I say this virtually every podcast, all of our goals are still in front of us. Right. And I think, and again, it's, it's, it's that part of where it's like, you can't divorce yourself. We've, we've talked to this again. We talked about it with Jay. We've talked about it. I feel like every week you can't divorce yourselves from the history of being a Northwestern fan, but there's all that September stuff. But then there's the other stuff too. In 2016, we were in a mess of a season and headed to an Iowa team that, if I'm not mistaken, up at that point was owned us. We talk about Evanston West now, but there was a stretch where Iowa just had our number. And we were heading into Iowa, and I think we were something like 12 and a half point dogs. And Justin Jackson had had a real time, rough time running the ball. And then he gashed Iowa, and we won 38 31. And that started things out. And two years later, we went to Michigan State, and again, another really rough season. We all remember how 2018 started off, right? As bad as it could be. And then we went to Michigan State, and Clayton Thornson absolutely dusted them for arguably his best game as a Wildcat. And those were things that no one saw coming before they happened. And that's the kind of thing. It's like, Yes, it's really easy to be like, yeah, no, there's no way Northwestern, there's no way Evan Hall is going to somehow break off a buck or a buck 50 in this game. And then it's like, these are the kind of things that you only look at in hindsight and be like, well, none of us saw that coming, but wasn't it fantastic that it, that it happened? And again, we know this team continues to have to get a lot of stuff figured out. But, um, you know, and, and, and again, we, we've mapped out the situation. If there's a situation where Nebraska wins this game big, it's not hard to map that situation out. But I think if we get the stops, if we get a couple turnovers, if O'Neill's got something, some way, right, that, that something creative, some way to just contain Martinez enough, we're not going to contain him fully, uh, but just some way to contain him enough and make him make one of his trademark screw-ups or a couple of them. And then, you know, again, we grind this team. We go tough. We hit them hard. We pull this game down into the mud and we get a couple of breaks. That's the recipe. And again, um, it's the kind of thing where, again, there's the fear of what this game is and what this season could be. But I think we'd all be fools if we didn't think back to everything we've experienced in the past five years. And the way Northwestern tends to perform when the expectations are down, when people are against us, and the opportunity that we have to start kind of writing the real story of this season and, and what we can do in this game to do that. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot. I mean, we this has sort of been the red letter game for North. I mean, no pun intended, but like we know Northwestern Nebraska is always a close game. Ten and a half is a big number. And I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of Northwestern fans just are thinking, this is going to be a one possession game. It always is. Fingers crossed it is. Uh, we'll see uh, on Saturday night, 6.30. We, you know, running a little bit long, so we want to quickly whip around the rest of the conference from last week and uh, preview this upcoming week. Um, starting off with 
Colorado State and Iowa, 24-14, Iowa won. But uh, Iowa, I mean, they're number five. Their defense is insane, very opportunistic, taking the ball away a ton. Their offense, though, I don't know. They were, oh my God, they, I was, I had that Colorado State game on. Colorado State's up 14-7. They're driving, they, I, I think they connected on like a nice pass to get toward midfield. Gets called back on a penalty, another penalty, and something else later, and they're like inside the five, and of course they fumble it, and that that's how Iowa tied the game was with a five yard drive, and that's that's it's what they've done all year. Their defense is producing points, and you know no, those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. We've benefited from that in our uh, as, as Northwestern fans many many times, but that's the story of Iowa. If, if you don't turn the ball over to that defense, you can beat Iowa because their offense is not good. So that is all true. You're 100% right. Again, there's, However, the va- there's the vacuum of what are Iowa's problems and then what are Iowa's problems compared to everyone else in the Big Ten's problems? Let's put it this way. There were two top 10 teams in the Big Ten. Oh, no. let's. So Penn State also looks good. And that's the thing. I think, you know, I certainly you're looking at Penn State, Iowa right now and being like the class. But there are three. There were three top 10 Big Ten teams coming into this weekend. One of those teams had a player tweet F his school during the game. And that player has subsequently been kicked off the team. That is and, the kind and of, is now in the transfer portal. Yeah, that is the kind of season Ohio State is having right now. And, you know, yes, they whooped up on Akron, but, um, you know, their problems remain. And, of course, you know, you know we'll, we'll get to everybody else. But that's the thing. Right. Iowa's lived a charmed life so far this season, um, and they do have problems. And at some point, right, at some point, they are going to have to to really answer for those offensive problems, and they certainly haven't had to yet. Uh, Penn State beat Villanova 38-17. You mentioned Ohio State beat Akron 59-7. Great. Uh, Notre Dame beat Wisconsin 41-13. There is something wrong with Graham Mertz. I mean, I mean, I mean Not- Notre Dame beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin beat Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, I'm like... Five mm. turnovers by Graham Mertz. Uh couple important call-outs. One, Jack Cohn got injured in this game, and a, a dude named, I don't even know his name, um, something Pine had to come in off the bench. Drew Pine came in off the bench um, and and had, like, had to score a touchdown um, to give to give them the lead. Uh, this was this was a catastrophe for, catastrophe for Wisconsin. When was the last time Wisconsin got hammered like this? Can, can you guys even remember a time? No. Not and off I the think, top of my head, no. And I, and I think, too, it's like there's – it's – I mean, obviously, you're – I don't think you're going to see things go so haywire, multiple pick sixes for Wisconsin again. But the but, common and, – and, But what's important is before the pick sixes, like, it didn't look like they were going to win. And then right. oh, they well, threw that, the and, game and away that, brutally. And that's the thing is I think the common thread through, you know, the, the mess that is Wisconsin this season is – if they can't do it on the ground and it gets late and they're in any position where they have to do it through the air, it, they just implode. And I think that's basically what we mapped out for Wisconsin going into this season. And they are living the worst case scenario of the thing we talked about, which is Wisconsin's going to kick the tar out of eight teams on their schedule. And those are the eight teams that can't stop the run. And the other teams, 
they are in real trouble and and the worst version of that Wisconsin team is showing up so far and and I think that's going to kind of submarine them and again it's like you know not to put the cart before the horse but suddenly you know we're looking down in field and being like hey maybe we can still get in the mud with this team so we'll, you know, we'll see Wisconsin ran the ball on on Notre Dame slightly better than Purdue ran the ball on Notre Dame down their top running back right it's kind of inconceivable. Wisconsin's offense is worse than Toledo's across the board. Yep. What is happening? Insanity. Absolutely. Uh, Michigan beat Rutgers 20 to 13. Um, definitely keeping an eye on, you know, try to keep an I, eye on that game, but it was, it was a tough watch. I know it was like, it was like, because we were really looking to get something out of this game. And I guess what we like, it's hard to be like, I, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I mean, I think, if you had to what, ask, what we know is Michigan like, is going to run the ball. That's that's well, what they're going to try to do. They absolutely are, and I think the the other thing is Michigan's done with their creamy frosting, and even against a a Big Ten team that may not be super great, they immediately had much more trouble, and I think that's part of it. And again, that's not to shade Rutgers. Like Rutgers played this game tough, but I think we still need to see a lot more from both of these teams. We mentioned uh, Michigan State over Nebraska. Bowling Green 14, Minnesota 10. Oh, Nelly. <laughs> oh, boy. I feel bad. What's funny, you know what's funny about this is um, that, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, Scuzz, but I don't think I am. Running the ball was not the problem for Minnesota in this game. Uh, Trace and Potts had a pretty good game. I think it was, you know. 20, 27 Tanner, for 141. Tanner Morgan did not have a good game in this game, and they – Minnesota does not have the luxury for Tanner Morgan to be turning in clunkers. But he didn't throw his two picks into the last two drives of the game. And yeah, granted, I mean, he was five of 13 for 60 yards. Like it was, it was abysmal. Um, But I like, I, I don't, I didn't watch this close enough to know like how they didn't score more early on. So like, cause, cause all those, all those yards, I mean, they had, you know, they kicked a field goal, then they fumbled it. They, um, they, there was a, a drive that ended uh, on fourth down. I mean, so like at halftime, they've got three points because th- like like three of their drives have have failed. Um, they go into the second half, they they miss a field goal, uh, but it wasn't until the end that it's just like they had no urgency. And I like I want to point out, Bowling Green hasn't beaten an FBS team since November second of twenty nineteen. They and, were and, the arguably and, the max worst team last year. And and I realize that, you know, the 2020 is a three-game sample size, but that's, you know, three FBS games this year that they've lost, plus three at the end of uh, 27, 2019. So, I like, like they're, not a, they're not a good team, and Minnesota just looked flat. And, like, with, without, without, like, Chris Hotman Bell had one catch for nine yards. Now, I don't know how often he was targeted, I note that Dylan Wright was was targeted like had zero catches in the game and and maybe there's something going on there but like like without without Ibrahim Minnesota just looks like a shell of itself and it it maybe this was just a horrible off game that they had um but it's like this feels like a downward spiral, spiral for Minnesota honestly Purdue beat Illinois 13 to 9. Why Illinois continues to start Brandon Peters at quarterback is uh, <laughs> it's a mystery, I, folks. It, it is. And the funny thing is Illinois still can run the ball, but they they again, they they really they really can't. Um so first of all, 
They really can't throw. And it, it that totally hamstrings them. And they were in this game mainly because Purdue has had just some real problems finding it um, from a quarterback perspective. And again, this is where we talked about where it was like Purdue was basically both of Purdue's quarterbacks were kind of a mess. And they kept going back and forth between the quarterbacks in this game trying to find it. And Aiden O'Connell was put back in late in this game and absolutely found it and engineered the game-winning drive. And that's basically why why Purdue won. Um, and again, it's like they're, this was a close game, but at the same time, one of these teams felt a lot better than the other, and that was Purdue. If I type ART into my Google search uh, bar, it auto-populates Archer Sikowski injury update. Um, he doesn't appear to be injured, folks. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, Maryland beat Kent State 37-16. to 16. Uh, Talia Tangabaloa looked great. I feel like we said Talia's going for 350 or 4, and he threw for 384, so there yeah. you go. And then Indiana escapes with a 33-31 oh. win at Western Kentucky. Whew. Yeah. Michael Penny I mean, threw 53 passes, the, completed 35 the, of them for 373 yards, but Oof, something something's not right. I, I I think the the real shocker in that one was that Western Kentucky threw for three sixty five in this game and against this Indiana defense. I mean, again, it's like your Indiana's having a, a you know what for them is a nightmare season, and they they dodged an absolutely nightmare result, and it's rough. I mean, I think the the one positive for them at least now, is that Penix finally turned in a great game, and they're going to need that from him going forward. And it's like, you know, to, to use that the phrase one more time, Indiana's goals are still in front of them, but, um, you know, things are things have been as about as rough as they could be so far. Uh, real, quick, real quick running through this weekend's games, uh, Friday night, Iowa at Maryland. Iowa, a four-point favorite. Over-under is 46, so that's fairly Fable. low. Four-point favorite, huh? Yeah, that so, is some terp love right there. Wow. So, so Talia, on the season, 75% completion, 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns, and one interception. If Maryland doesn't turn the ball over against Iowa, they have a better offense. And it, it, it just takes a couple scores. They don't need to put up 30. They might not even need to put up 21. Yeah, I it's it's funny, and, and I think that's the thing. Everyone's waiting. I mean, if it could possibly be that everyone is waiting for this test um, that that they're finally going to get. And to Maryland's credit, right? Maryland beat a West Virginia team that subsequently beat Virginia Tech, and then barely lost to Oklahoma last week. So yeah, the turf schedule is you know, and, and again, this they also barely beat Illinois. So. It's both, but it's funny only because it speaks to, I think, the Sharps and Vegas' feeling that Iowa has lived that charmed life in addition to how good their defense is, that everything has gone right for them and that that's going to level out at some point, and we'll see. Again, if Maryland turns the ball over, they're going to lose this game. Yeah, yes. Period. Absolutely. 11 o'clock on Saturday on Fox, Michigan at Wisconsin. Michigan, a one-point favorite at Camp Randall. I mean, that line in itself is is fascinating. I feel like everyone's still trying to figure out so much about those two teams. It, oh, I mean, so we, we were talking to our buddy Chris from Winning Cures and Everything. Like, the, the opening line he saw at, I think, Sportsbook Review was, like, Wisconsin by 10. I saw on Vegas Insider, Wisconsin by 6.5 as the open. I, like... 
granted it's it's moved dramatically but i don't i don't understand how wisconsin is seen as a favorite michigan is a real conundrum like we talked about that rutgers game i i was i had it on early and it looked like they were going to absolutely blow the doors off and then i like i turned it off i don't even the first quarter was over and i don't think michigan scored again i was just going through the play-by-play a second it looks like they they like they kind of shut down Hassan uh, Haskins, and I still don't understand why Cade McNamara is is their QB. He doesn't seem to be very good, but he hasn't had to throw much, so I don't know. But like, like this is this is quite a tough spot for Wisconsin to get right, although it is at home. I think one of the one of the big pieces, and and this would I, I guess I would say the big piece is Mich- Michigan may not be good at stopping the run. There's nothing. They've played no team that would have had the ability to do that up until this point. They were really Fair. bad at it last year. Wisconsin's great at it. And that, I think, could potentially be the difference maker in this game. Uh, also at 11 o'clock on Big Ten Network, Charlotte at Illinois. Wonderful. Oh <laughs> Don't oh. care. Illinois. I'm like, the. it's so weird, too, because, again, it's like, it's, if, sh- so Charlotte's had a, a Fairly decent season so far. Three and one. Charlotte, yeah. yeah. If Charlotte adds that Illinois game, they already in, beat Duke. Yeah, exactly. And I was gonna say, like, what's funny about that is, is, you know, if Charlotte beats Illinois, Charlotte may not be so bad. And it's that situation where if Duke had just beaten Charlotte, Duke would be undefeated right now, and they did just hang fifty something on Kansas. Granted, it's on Kansas, but you know, if you're looking for something to be like, well. You know, but for that game, the two teams that beat us would be undefeated right now. But anyway, I digress. Illinois is an 11 point favorite in that one. Uh, we'll see. Also at 11, Minnesota at Purdue. Purdue a two and a half point favorite. So David Bell did not play most of the, the Purdue Illinois game, I believe, or, or all of it. Um, and yet still, Purdue prevailed. Like he's there. I mean, he he instantly makes their quarterback situation a lot better if he plays. So if he, I mean, if he plays, this looks like a um, really really tough spot for the Gophers. Yeah, absolutely, and also because I think one of the kind of best kept secrets, and we talked about it in the summer, and it's overperforming is Purdue's defense looks a bunch better, and they've got this hot new defensive coordinator, and he seems to be doing good things. And if they put up a performance against Minnesota, that's really going to reinforce that. Uh, Yanni Karloftis. Yep. <laughs> 2.30 p.m. Uh, Central on Big Ten Network. Ohio State at Rutgers. Ohio State a 15.5 point favorite. If Rutgers, like, is it really no. out of the realm no. of possibility? No. 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 Okay. This no. is the big, so all I care about in this game is, and, and this is, I think, to Scuzz's point, what, how many points can Rutgers score in this game? That's what I care about. Because Ohio State's defense is bad. So if Rutgers has something offensively, we should find out about it in this game. They didn't put up much against against Michigan. They really didn't show a heck of a lot. And I think that's so that's kind of the the thing that I'm waiting on because again, we this is the, the our next opponent after Nebraska. So I think I, I'm looking to see what if anything they can do here. I I mean, for all the problems that Ohio State is having, I expect Ohio State to easily cover this number. Um I think it's kind of a miracle the spread is that low to begin with. Um, and that's a testament to just how much of a mess Ohio State is. But I still feel like Ohio State's going to run this. See, I don't think Ohio State's a mess at all. I mean, they're what, like third string linebacker has left the team and flipped people off. Oh, but like, I mean, not, I think you know, like wh- not a guy that played. And more importantly, they 
what whether he's injured or whether they benched CJ Stroud, Kyle McCord came in and looked phenomenal. Yes, against a terrible Akron team, but like let's see the aforementioned like Wisconsin's oh, yeah. worse than Toledo and, I mean, and, and uh, Minnesota and, lost to Bowling Green, right? And the Big Ten just ain't loaded with teams that can outscore the Buckeyes. Like, so, like, not... but all you need is a comp. You do not need your QB to be a wheel, wheel, world beater when you've got Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. All you need him to do is not F up, and Kamakor didn't F up to the tune of 319 yards and two TDs. So, like, yeah, fair. 6.30 Central on ABC, Indiana at Penn State. Penn State a 10.5 point favorite. God, we were like circling this game for yep. so long. And now it's rough because, I mean, it's one of these teams is fourth in the country. The other's not ranked. And it feels like that. And, and it stinks because, I mean, I almost look at it's kind of like the situation we're in going into Nebraska. Indiana's in that situation writ large. I think Penn State's a better team. And Indiana, I mean, you know, we, again, I... I don't want to put Indiana below us because we've had our, our own problems for sure. But all of a sudden, it feels like Penn State's going to dominate this game. And I, I, I just I would love for the opposite to be true, for Indiana to just come out and do exactly what we're trying to do, just totally flip the narrative and being like, you know what, September's done and, he, and here we are and for Penix to absolutely go off. Let's see it happen. Uh, finally, Western Kentucky at Michigan State, uh, 6.30 mm. on FS1. <laughs> Michigan State a ten and a half point favorite. Two two point loss to Indiana was as close as you were going to get. Western Michigan, sorry, I, I, or Western I, Kentucky. Yeah, I, I guess I would say this too, just to say one little thing about the Spartans. All of a sudden, Michigan State's having the kind of season where they can turn in a stinker and still somehow win. And all of a sudden, Michigan State is going from you know having been a, a god awful mess last season to suddenly like. A, they seem to be just a good football team straight up. And B, even when things go wrong for them, they still find a way to win. And like those two things combined and suddenly you're looking like a pretty special season. So we're going to see what they can do. Uh, Elsewhere around the country, there's some fun ones uh, this week. Arkansas at Georgia at 11 o'clock on ESPN. Um, Texas TCUs should be entertaining. Uh, Cincinnati, Notre Dame. uh, Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Ole Miss at Alabama. I, I just want to say briefly, like, we know the week after you play Wisconsin, it hurts. That 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 defense beats the crap out of you. And uh, I've watched the Cincinnati team play in person. Like, like it's going to be an electric game. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I would – the it's funny i was just looking and seeing what the spread of that arkansas georgia game is and for a te- for a game between the number 2 and number 8 teams in the country it's an 18 and a half point spread <laughs> and that seems about right i mean i all praise to arkansas they're having a dream season georgia looks like the best team in the country right now and um i think i expect them to show it old miss alabama's going there's going to be some fireworks in that game i think that old miss offense yeah. is fun yeah, it's it certainly, I mean, it's it's going to be a lot. Again, I know our boys at Winning Cures Everything are super dialed into this one. Um, yeah, and I think Alabama, everyone after the Florida game is looking to see what's there, right? And I think, you know, is this are they in kind of cruise control, especially in a season, right, where these blue bloods that we've become so accustomed to, right? Ohio State's a hiccup. Clemson is just a, a dumpster fire right now. 
And and so I think everyone's looking to be like, are we not that that's going to happen to Alabama, but Alabama's playing with fire to their extent. You know what's going to happen in Ole Miss, and it'll be wild to see. All right. Um, and anything else to mention before we get out of here? I know we're a little bit long tonight. Uh, thank you all, everyone for bearing with us. Yeah. No. I just that again. It's it's we know that that there's a lot of consternation right now. That there's a lot of worry, and that you know again, it's like. Marshal the positivity, marshal the hope, marshal the belief that this has happened before and it can happen again and that that we can find a path here and that there is a path for us to just run hard, run tough, get a couple breaks and then, you know, engineer the kind of game that that we'll be talking about. Yeah, well said. I mean, I think, you know, we, we wouldn't be doing this podcast like we're not interested in just coming on here and bitching about stuff, right? Like we want we want to look at at at. The, the ways this can go well for Northwestern. And we don't think that it's a, it's a, you know, far, uh, far-fetched possibility to do, to, to put together the type of, of uh, attack and defense that we described earlier. Is it going to happen? I, you know, I, I don't feel great. I'm, I'm quite anxious about this game and a lot of other people are, are already chewing their knuckles. Um, but the, uh, but this is, this is by no means a game that Northwestern cannot win. Oh, for sure. I mean, this is definitely a game we can win, but this is also very much a game we can lose. I mean, like, by no means are we coming out and saying we are absolutely winning this game. So, you know, anyone who thinks we're like 100%, you know, positive, we're going to win, that's not the case. Anyway. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, I think, again, it's like we're we're hopeful. We want that belief. Um, we want that feeling like it, like it could happen. Like, let's let's let it happen. Let's... The, the things that we've all been waiting for this season, let's see those things happen. Let's have a great Saturday night. Let's do it. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Westlaw Pirates. Email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.